Everyone, make way for the prince. Prince Jackson is the owner of Good Night Life Podcast Network, host of the award-winning Nightlight Podcast, a horror f- movie f- podcast for the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. He is also a parent of a twenty-month-year-old daughter. He is just as nice on Zoom as he is on his Twitter feed. Yes, and such an open book discussing the fears and joys of parenting, his love for horror. Kind of like how parenting influences that love, and today he chose the film Coraline to discuss. I believe that parents will definitely love this podcast. I mean, episode pod for this podcast、um, because in the beginning we went a lot in depth about parenting, and I feel like Coraline is just a really good gateway for our younger, younger audiences just to get like a little dip in the toes to horror. And overall, we had like. A great conversation with him, but here we go. You have entered Kindergeist, a horror podcast for kids and ghouls. <laughs> This is actually our first parent on the show, as we found out. Lovely Prince,、um, can you tell us, our listeners, about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for this.、Um, but yeah, I'm Prince.、Um, I am the host of a podcast called Nightlight, a horror movie podcast where、uh, we break down and discuss horror films, and it's kind of like a commentary show on horror films where we break down scene by scene the entire plot of the film. Um, so that's、uh, that's pretty much what I specifically do, but、um, that's going to be on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network as well.、Um, I'm also a besides being a huge horror aficionado in some ways, I am also a father, just like you said,、uh, father of a 20 month old baby. She's absolutely amazing.、Um, she's gosh. She's coming up to two so fast, but、um, she's so much fun, and it's been a blast being a parent and. Um, it's been interesting because I do get the question a lot of like horror and having a child. Like, how do those mix? And it's it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with that topic, can you like tell us?、Um, since my parents, they kind of put a boundary of like what I can watch about horror. And since you love horror so much, would you put a boundary with your daughter when it comes to watching horror movies when she does get older?、Uh, that's a great question.、Um, As of right now, there's a bit of a boundary for sure,、um, just because she her brain is a bit like a sponge at the moment, to where things are just completely just soaking up and taking everything in.、Um, I don't want her reenacting scenes from Scream at preschool <laughs> yeah, or no, something. <laughs> so、um, I, there's a bit of a boundary for sure.、Uh, when she's probably closer to her teen years or in her teen years, and she's interested about it, then. I definitely probably will be the person to take her to her first horror film or show her her first horror film.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be super gatekeepy about it either. I guess、uh, mm-hmm. where like no, you have to watch The Exorcist and then you can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not going to do anything <laughs> like that. I, I am very much like, and my wife is is kind of the same as I. She's not a really big fan of horror, but she does like spooky things and creepy things and like Halloween episodes on cartoons and things like that. We feel like that would be like the perfect gateway. Um, if she was kind of remotely into it, or maybe remotely not, or anything like that, and that will be a 
good sense of us to kind of gauge something like that. But I probably would start there where it would be something with like Halloween episodes or cartoons. Cause that's kind of initially how I started. And I just think that's the easiest way for someone to kind of see something without being too frightened by it, but maybe a little like creeped out, like, Oh, that was a little creepy. I don't know if I like that. Or maybe I do like, I don't know. So, so that's, that's a great way for, for me to actually kind of gauge something like that, but I would hold a boundary on it. Yeah. It's a good way to ease in because since she's so young, still like really, really young. But I just wanted to know like some lessons you've learned as a an upcoming father and like any like had or not your wife had your baby, but like. <laughs> yeah, she like, did the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wanted to know some like things that you would either give advice to parents or just like things that you learned along the way? Yeah. Um, patience. That's honestly the main thing and not just patience for your child, but patience for your partner. Um, and just really understanding what your partner is going through during pregnancy, after pregnancy, before pregnancy, like all those things, like when the thought process happens like that, that's where patience is like a necessity. I feel like being patient and empathizing with your partner as well is a great way for you to truly understand that this is hard, you know, like this is, this is something that their body is completely changing to carry a human like that. That is super weird and sci-fi, but like it happens, right? Like it's bio, it's biologically like prone to happening. So like it's in those cases, like it, it can be um, scary and a bit intimidating in some ways where um, you are now like supposed to take care of this little person and grow this little person to be something in the, in society. And that's, that's a lot of pressure. And especially when you have the horrors of the world kind of surrounding you as well. And all you truly can think about is just how can I protect her? But at the same time, give the space she needs to also learn and make mistakes and things like that. And it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough for you to kind of take a back seat sometimes and really try your best to just be there for your partner as much as you possibly can while also nourishing this child. Um, it, it, it's a really interesting balance, but patience and a communication like that's that, those are, those are really like two main really important things. I feel like when you are becoming a parent in general, for sure. Wow. Thank you for giving that because I know a lot of parents or at least my family and things like that, upcoming parents and things will definitely take your advice. And I, I do believe like a lot of patients, like personally me, I love babies. I like taking care of them. I, I volunteer at certain places to just take care of babies, you know, oh, and toddlers. So cool. yeah, it kind of like teaches me things. And I love the younger uh, group. Well, I don't know how to describe that, but <laughs> I just like taking care. Like I have a younger brother, yeah. um, if you didn't know, and I've watched him growing up and I personally, I take care of him as well. And it, it, yeah, like what you said, it takes a lot of patience. Um, did you know coming in that it would take a lot of patience or did it was just a switch like that? That's a great question. It's uh, it more so was specifically like we would watch a lot of different like videos and things like that to really prep us up and prepare us for our child. Um, one in particular was a lady named Kara. Um, and her company is taking care of babies, which I thought was kind of cute and fun, kind of play on words with her name. 
Um, but she would teach things like sleep training and um, how to properly understand like what your child is asking for when they cry and like what certain cries to expect and things like that. So uh, that was a, that was kind of where I started kind of having the object in my head where it's just like, okay, this is probably not going to be as bad as it is. And then she was here and um, it was, I wouldn't say it was like bad, but it definitely was a learning process for sure. Like the first three months, I felt like I was not getting the hang of it. After those three or four months, that's when I really started. Like my my wife was a rock star. Like she she really and she obviously she still is, but like she really understood the subject for and and like she she loved every moment of it. And like even though it was really hard, like it felt so natural for her. And I was like, how is she doing this? Like I feel like I'm not. I'm not naturally understanding the moment right now. And like, I'm, I'm, so for me, it was a bit of a learning experience. Um, I didn't feel as fatherly as I did. Like it kind of felt like this was someone else's kid and I was just kind of taking care of them and going to give them back after a month. Like it felt something like that <laughs> in the beginning. But <laughs> when I really started understanding after those three to four months and really starting to kind of get the hang of it. And she started to be able to communicate a little bit more because we would teach her like sign language and things like that to where she eventually can, when words are starting to form, she can use sign language as well, just in case if we don't understand what she's saying, for example, like she'll kind of move her hand and, and open and close it. And that means milk. Or uh, yeah. when she's all done, she'll wave her hands in the air. Um, and that means she's all done. So things like that. And like, even when she like moves her hands closer together and tap them, um, that means more. That was extremely helpful to teach her that because uh, now she actually says those words um, a lot easier now. Um, so uh, it is a little bit easier to understand her, but like, and, and she gets frustrated when I don't understand <laughs> things like that. Cause she's just like, it's a communication barrier dude like you got to get with it or get lost um so uh yeah so she's she definitely is is my boss <laughs> I, I think that's like amazing though how you're, you taught her those like sign like language type of things with her hands because i know a lot not a lot of people have done that actually when you mentioned like kind of like tapping into that parental fear of like who, what is this uh, child that I'm raising? Do I know them? Are there any like those creepy child horror movies that really resonated with you looking back? Oh, yeah. Uh, one in particular, uh, it's just called Blatantly Children. I'm not too sure if anyone's seen that, but it's about these kids who gets like it's about the, this family who takes their kids to all see each other. It's like a little family reunion at someone's house. And it's during the winter time, and all these kids get sick. They get, catch a cold or something, but it turns them murderous and, and they are trying to murder their parents and some are successful. Uh, and th these parents then have I haven't seen it um, since I've had my daughter, but like these parents are pretty much conflicted where it's just like, do I take my kid out? Or do I try to help them the best way I can in this moment? But like, you can definitely tell that the director and the writer of this film very much just had a newborn child or something or, or children in general who with kids, they are, they have like kind of a few different moods, but they can go like to angry like that. And like, they can go to mad and start kicking and screaming just like that and have tantrums and things like that. And I really, truly feel like 
that moment was kind of like a haunting situation for that parent uh, or the person who directed it. I don't know who directed it because I've seen it so long ago, but I feel like that is what that basis of that film was to really kind of hone in and understand like how kids can, I guess, be a little crazy because <laughs> um, that's that's truly how it felt. It felt like they were just like these crazy kooky kids who caught a cold and they were trying to murder their parents and children. I would highly suggest watching it. It's, it's a, it's a quite fun film, but it's um, from what I remember at least, but I should check it out again. Now that I'm a parent, <laughs> I probably have a completely different sense of an experience. That sounds like I have to watch that too. I'm sure because I'm not, I don't have kids, so I'll probably view it in a different lens. You'll probably view it how I first viewed it. Like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is great. But once you have children, it's just like, that is terrifying. Yeah. I'm afraid of my child. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Because I had, um, like, I love the movie uh, Hole in the Ground. Oh, I love that that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man. Lee Cronin. Yeah. I feel like if I was a parent, I would view this in like a very different way. So yeah, I I watched that maybe a month or two before my wife got was pregnant, and oh. um, I, it made me think of that movie where it's just like, oh my gosh, really hope our kid isn't like a freaky doppelganger or something <laughs> like a hole in the ground. <laughs> oh, that's so funny! Like perfect timing. I know, I know. That's usually how it goes. That is usually exactly how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Like on that note, like, um, like when you were younger, what, how did you get into horror and what was your favorite? Yeah. Uh, so gosh, I feel like in the nineties, I grew up in the nineties. Um, and I feel like in the nineties, there's just so much content specific. It's, it's weird to even call it content, but I would say TV shows. Um, there's just so much, so many shows that were out that catered to childhood horror. And we had things on Nickelodeon, for example, like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Then you had Disney Channel's kind of paranormal investigative show called So Weird. And those two shows really built up a dynamic for me. And then when uh, and even there's like other things uh, as well, I feel like. But those are the like the basis because we had like Goosebumps as well. And I feel like those were like the main basis to really like be a gateway for children to have some type of interest or affliction with this and to have an, an a more child friendly way of telling a hor- horrific cautionary tale. And upon that, upon having that and seeing like those types of stories that were presented on screen in the 2000s, you will get a lot more cartoons that really hunkered down and followed this kind of horror trope and horror trend. As well, like Martin Mystery, for example, is another one that I'm a huge fan of. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about it too much. Um, but Martin Mystery is a show that was based in Canada. Uh, it was about this guy named Martin and his sister, Diana, and their kind of caveman sidekick named Java. And they went to this preparatory school that was a boarding school, but they also were secret agents. Um, for the paranormal. So pretty much it was a child-friendly X-Files and um, they would go out and just investigate the most insane things. I think the first episode is about the boogeyman and it's a boogeyman that haunts Gothic novels inside of libraries. And it takes you into the book and it traps people inside the books. Um, But there's an episode that is very much uh, the thing and it it is like I'm genuinely like it, it's 
exactly the thing. But I think the episode is called um, Escape from the Doppelganger, something like that. I don't remember specifically, but it was about a doppelganger, this creature that would latch on to people and change them into this monster. And the creature even came on a dog in the snow to this winter facility. And it was, it was nuts. It was really, really cool. But um, I very much, Martin Mystery, I think is what really like honed in on me really enjoying horror and was just like, wow, this is actually fun. Like I, I actually am having a lot of fun versus being afraid. And then I also feel like we had, I guess, movies that showcased it for children as well with gosh, so many like Tim Burton, for example, with Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, so many different types. Frankenweenie, I guess, is another one as well. But like Coraline um, <laughs> as well, like I, one we're probably going to chat about. Um, but with with things like that, like you just had so many interesting ways to showcase horror for children. And I feel like it was always a, a spectacle for me during Halloween when I would watch horror uh, or Halloween special episodes for like Hey Arnold or Doug, um, things like that. And those were always my favorite episodes, like the headless cabbie on Hey Arnold was terrifying to me. And I, I never wore scarves until this day. I don't wear scarves because of that. <laughs> hey Arnold episode, not because I think it's like scary. It's just like, now I'm not used to wearing anything around my neck. And it just, it's all started because of that episode. And I think that is so cool to really have something that I guess, attachable to you as well. When you were like talking about like Tim Burton movies, and I it was just kind of giving me flashbacks of like, when how exposed I was to horror when I was younger because of my aunt. I remember she filmed this one thing. I for was it a film? I don't remember. But it was like Nutella in our living room and like we were they were all in a circle. And it creeped me out a little bit. It was like at night and I and like I remember yeah, like what you said, like Goosebumps is also another gateway. Um and like mostly Tim Burton movies that it just gave me flashbacks. I'm sorry, that's all I had to say. No, that's <laughs> like, awesome. No, that, that's great. I mean, it, it's it's a really fun way to to I guess think about horror that way. And and it's always a weird thing to say child-friendly horror because horror is horror. Um, and it's interesting. It, it's just really interesting. And I, I hope that we come back to that. And it sounds like Dr. Strange Multiverse of Madness is a way to kind of bring that back a little bit. I haven't seen it yet personally, but um, I hear that it is definitely something that is going to be a, a fun gateway horror for a lot of newer audience members and who are younger. And I think that is awesome. I think that's really, really cool uh, because it, we've had things like this in the 80s, Ghostbusters, The Goonies, um, Lost Boys. Like these are films that are were kind of catered to teenagers and kids, but yet they were scary. Like they like there's a lot of scary things that were happening in um, those films. And I really find that to be a very exciting time for uh, horror when it gets back to that because I don't see a lot of shows that really do that. The only show that I saw that was really close to that, that was modern was Gravity Falls. Other than Gravity Falls, like Adventure Time kind of had it every now and then. Regular show kind of did a little bit. It was regular show was more of the uncanny valley than anything. But then you would have um, something like Gravity Falls that just leaned all the way into it and was just like, no, we're going to talk about the Illuminati. 
Here's a cipher yeah. named Bill, and he has one eyeball through a pyramid, and this is what is going to be the driver of this show. And I thought <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that Gravity Falls is also one of the the shows that also brought me into horror, and I thought it was like really cool that they would like play on disney and i was like oh my gosh like it was really interesting personally and i thought never happened again (laughs) (laughs) never happen again that's a once in a lifetime alex hirsch was like he was so tied down in that writing room and they did not allow him to do a lot of things he wanted to do but I'm glad he still got to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. (laughs) That's such a good point, though, about like in modern days, like the huge separation of horror and the children's horror is not happening enough. And I kind of see this with um, like I'm mentioning it in front of you, Zakia, but like (laughs) I like there's a fear or a stigma attached to enjoying horror because I because I notice with you, Zakia, you'll be like, oh, I don't like horror that much. But you loved Vampire Diaries, American Horror Story. That is a horror avenue right there. That is a horror (laughs) avenue for sure. Like that. I mean, without vampires, like you're not going to really have like horror without without something like that. So I I, and Vampire Diaries does have that moments where those moments where it does get a little scary, like the war between the werewolves and the vampires and then they had to fight in that little bog area i was like this is actually kind of scary like like someone could really get hurt here <laughs> even though it's the point but still <laughs> but i'm kind of curious since we're on that note for like zakia why do you feel like you're afraid to say that you're a horror fan no because i feel like i'm not compared to like other people who are super duper like into horror like not like for example you two like you both, I know that you both are very a horror, hardcore, like horror fans. But me, I just feel like I'm, I haven't gotten to the point where, I mean, like, I know that I'm not supposed to, it doesn't really matter if you identify as like a really hardcore horror fan. Like, if you like horror, then you like horror. But I just feel like I'm not so into the sub, like the genre as much as you guys are. I don't know. I just kind of compare myself, like in that situation. But I feel like, I, I do consider myself a horror fan, I guess, if, if since you put it that way. Like, I, I do enjoy horror. There are just certain types of horror that I don't enjoy, which is, like, mostly if there's, like, a, oh, I remember this one scene from American Horror Story where there was a clown stabbing a woman and a man in a the picnic. picnic area. Yeah. I think that one, like, scarred me for life because I, I watched that, like, a long time ago, and I was like, oh, and that's when I knew I didn't like gore gory stuff like a lot of gore like oh no it's yeah that's completely fair and it's that's the beauty behind horror though like there's always a little something for everyone and um i i feel like when we talk about horror fans and things like that like you will have you will come across horror fans who are like super hardcore and dedicated to the point where it's just like no you need to watch xyz film where it doesn't truly matter like you know enjoy what you enjoy that's that's the content that you want to watch so therefore it's out there for you Right. So um, when it comes to like gore and things like that, and even if someone's just like, I want to ease my way into gore or like something to where I can feel a little bit more comfortable around gore, I would say watch horror comedies because horror comedies genuinely have a lot of gore in them, but they do it in a very zany and donkey way that is a little bit more palatable than watching it like in Saw or Hostel. Right. Like, so it's uh, it, it it can be a little bit easier to um go about that and i would i would even say that can be some ways a gateway right where you'll have something like Shaun of the dead that is a zombie movie and you literally see some guy get ripped to shreds in that movie 
And yet it's a comedy. And like they, they really have this aspect of a very zany way of dealing with it. Or if you have something like what we do in the shadows where it's vampires and there's a very early scene of, of like some guy who's getting his neck drained and it's a lot of blood and spurting out and he's trying to catch the blood and it's really wacky and zany and, and it's funny. And um, that I feel like that is the best way to kind of go about that, because if you feel like. For example, let's say there's a movie you really, really want to see and you know that it's going to be extremely gory. Um, for example, let's say uh, The Northman. I don't know. It's just the first one that popped into my head. Um, and you feel like you need something to kind of work your way up to that point. Do it. You know, like it's it's totally OK to kind of start small and things like that to really work up to your goal movie that you really want to see. That's something that you feel like you can stomach more or anything like that. And I'm a huge fan of uh, trigger warnings for people. I, I personally don't don't want a trigger warning for myself. Like I just want to go in. But for other folks, like I think trigger warnings are extremely helpful. Uh, there is a website called Does the Dog Die? Um, Does the Dog Die pretty much spoils the gory parts in horror films for you. Um, so and it even it goes through every trigger. Like if you have a, a fear of the ocean, for example, and you want to watch, I don't know, deep water. I mean, granted, if you watch something like that, then you're, you're getting, you're getting yourself into what you're, you're getting yourself into. But if you choose something like that, for example, it'll say something like leg ripped off at X, Y, Z scene or something like that. And then, you know, like, okay, I could probably close my eyes if I know that right. that's going to happen or something like that. Um, so it's, it's ways to get around it. And a lot of really awesome people feel the same way that you do. Therefore they've made cool websites such as that one. <laughs> can you like, like put that in the chat? So yeah, I of course. <laughs> mentally prepare myself before I watch a movie. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've actually never watched a gory, like a funny, gory type of horror movie before. That would be interesting. They're interesting. They're yeah. out there. Um, one in particular, that's probably the most infamous one. Uh, is Brain Dead or Dead Alive by Peter Jackson, um, the guy who made Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, so that's probably the most infamous one that is a really wacky horror comedy. Um, and it's disgusting. It, it is gross. Like it is completely a splatter film to the utmost. Um, and there are some scenes in there that can push your boundaries quite a bit, but it goes back to just being pure comedic. And there's also, uh, I was kind of escaping my head. I just had House, both versions, the, uh, the 1977 version that is um, based in Japan, uh, which is Hasu. Um, Hasu is also very much a horror comedy in a lot of ways because it is ridiculous. Um, but then you have House, the American version, which is nothing like Houseu. It's they're completely different movies and they just have the same name. But House, which is from the 1980s, is ridiculous. It's a haunted house movie that just has the utmost just kind of slasher vibes. But it's supposed to be a zany comedy. But they're all ridiculous. But like a lot of the films from like the 80s push that boundary of comedy and gore and horror. I would say if you really want to get into it, uh, start there. You know, that's a that's a good place to start is in the 80s where you know that like it's bad acting for one. So you're probably not going to really be crazy <laughs> invested. Um, and on top of that, you are going to probably see some some things that are pretty scary and wonky and, and just kind of weird. 
Um, and three, like you, you just know you're, you're in for a good time. You're not in for the story. You're just going in and you're watching what you're watching. And you're probably just going to dip out after that. And you might not even think about it after that and probably even forget you watched it, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of films like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure Xanthi, you can, you can probably speak very much to this as well. It's a lot of films that really have that. And actually the picture behind, um, Xanthi there, it's, uh, uh, that's Ash back there uh that is a horror comedy that that movie right there is called evil dead it's ridiculous evil dead 2 even more ridiculous so those are films that are very much splatter housey and they're meant to be funny and weird and uh just not to be taken seriously so those are good ones to start with if you are just like i don't want to miss out on some of the things that these other folks are talking about but I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. So that's that's a way you can kind of start off and kind of prep yourself up a little bit and pump yourself up for that. Definitely taking notes on that because we're going to have a Now we're going to have a, a gory, funny horror movie marathon. When I see you, <laughs> when I see my aunt, we're going to like watch all the movies you recommend. <laughs> I yeah, I've, I haven't watched a lot of horror movies because I've been so busy, but like, I genuinely, I really want to watch all the movies that all of our guests have like recommended because I'm like, honestly, it gets me so excited. Like, yeah, it's, it's, they talk about it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know when I don't, I don't know if I have time. So that's I, why I, I'm not sure if you've had them on the show yet, but a, a great person to talk to is, uh, I'm, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, uh, uh, Xanthi, uh, Gory Corey. They go by Co- Gory Corey. Yeah. We did. Oh, you had them on? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, they're great. They they really I feel like they really have have it down when it comes to gateway and understanding like uh generational horror. Uh they they truly understand it to to uh, utmost and it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal every time they speak and I, I hear them on Twitter or see them on Twitter, like the thing that they say all the time that I I really like resonate with is understanding the their generation and how their generation is going to perceive and and take horror and i think that is the coolest thing ever because y'all are next right like y'all are the ones who are, who are going to be kind of taking this over and 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 doing some really cool and fun stuff and just having something different to bring to the table and i feel like cory gory is is or gory cory is doing something that's really really cool and i'm excited for them to to just kind of keep going they're in film yeah, school right totally. now. Totally. Oh my gosh. You don't understand how many times we've talked about them on our podcast because we have so many, like a lot of our guests know um, them and I'm like, yes, we've inter- we've interviewed them before and it's insane. And I really love them. They're amazing. They're an am- amazing person. I look up to them a lot and, you know. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I met Corey when they were in a, they came to a summer program and uh, we were in the horror class together. And it's so amazing to see like what they've accomplished, like in such a short time. Seriously. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, being a a correspondent for Fangoria Mm -hmm. as their teen horror correspondent and also uh, their their really fun podcast that they have. I think it's called Teen Screams or something like that. It's it's really fun, but shout out to them for sure. Like the, 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 the work that they're putting in is just really cool and really phenomenal to just see them just work it like influenced me to like push myself to like do better well i mean i'm trying but like you know it's it's insane it's like i 
she's they are like really an influence even me like i i'm yeah. very much influenced by them to everybody i think so to everybody well um let's get on to the actual <laughs> we talk about the actual <laughs> <Sorry>. topic now <laughs> um so today we're gonna we chose the film or prince chose the film we all did Coraline, a 2000 um stop motion film directed by henry Selick. it's also based on the book by neil gaiman so I read the book. I was actually forced to read the book. I did not read the book by choice, even though I'm a big bookworm. It was for my English class in seventh grade. So have you read the book yet? Or you have not? I feel... Like I have read much. it, yeah. Oh, you have? Okay, that's really good. Mind you, I basically kind of forgot everything. So, <laughs> so like once I finished the book, I kind of was like, okay, it's going to be in the back of my head now. I don't really The, the film's it. not too far off. It's not. Yeah, sort of. Like, why would you choose this film out of all the other films? I think this is this film in particular when it comes to just the terminology of gateway, right? Like, I think this film just really just hits the nail on the head. and. The my my wife was a teacher. She loves Coraline, absolutely loves it. And she used to teach fifth grade. And when she taught fifth grade, every time like it would be around like Halloween time or something like that, she would ask, like, all right, yeah, do you, would you guys like to put on Coraline? And they would some of like would actually freak out and be like, No, like that's way too scary for me. And and it, and she wouldn't be able to play it. So like it that really had me thinking where it's just like, is Coraline a horror movie? Like, <laughs> um, and it genuinely is like, I like the other mother and having a doppelganger and things like that. Like, I feel like this movie really has a gusto persona to it that has this ability to not only relate because if someone moves or anything like that, like I feel like we all would relate the exact same way that Coraline is relating. At least as a child, like you're leaving all your friends, you're leaving your life behind just to kind of do what your parents want to do. And you're just like, well, I don't want to do this. And I'm just tagging along because I'm an, I'm not an adult yet. And I can't, I have no choice. Right. So I feel like Coraline really has this really interesting aspect to it. And when we see her go on her adventures and things like that for just kind of like blasing around the area and just trying to understand where she is living. Like I, I really feel that to be amazing. And also it's really creepy and weird to live in a, a co-housing situation with a child. I feel like as a child, when I would watch it as a kid, um, and I watched, I wasn't that far off as a kid. I was like maybe 17 or 18 when it came out. I want to say it came out in 2009. But when it came out, I was around 17, 18 years old. So like I wasn't that young, but at the same time, like I didn't really tru truly understand what like co-housing was and what that meant or border housing, even though I was a fan of Hey Arnold and that's the whole basis of the show. It's in a boarding house, but I didn't truly understand like what that meant and what that would mean for a child to move in that environment and in that situation to have all of these kind of strange and weird neighbors who we're all practically in the circus together. Like that is so zany to me. And it's, it's, it's a bonkers type of movie. And I really feel like with the whimsical aspect behind it, that's where the horror comes in. When we see her go to the other place and when she goes to the other place, it feels like everything we dreamed of any food you want. You have parents who are, always excited for you and things like that. It's just, 
everything, like everything. And it's the perfect world. And it very much is the concept of the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I love that. I really love that. I love that aspect and that thing to be that driving force for Coraline and YB even to have this aspect as a, a cautionary tale for children in a way where it's just like, hey, like, I know it sucks right now, but it'll get better. Just be patient. Like, and I feel like that is the main thing with Coraline where we would see her rush to, to have a better life. And it turns out that it was actually not better. It was a very possessive life and a life that really, truly uh, just took you completely for granted. And I think that is something that is really cool and really telling about a story such as Coraline and Coraline is just such a, for me, it's, it's the pinnacle of like children horror, if you will. Uh, I, th- I think Coraline is just the one that really hones in to understand. And it's scary enough to be traumatizing for some, <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like it's also a very approachable film like i feel like if someone is maybe the age of nine or ten and they're really just trying to broaden their horizon a little bit when it comes to something um that's going to make them feel a little bit uncomfortable but also safe at the same time i think Coraline's that one i I think it it doesn't really scale too far into horror um I, i would say it's definitely more fantasy than horror but at the same time i do feel like it has those enough horror elements to just really get you there um, plus the score of Coraline is just so haunting and so whimsical and fairy tale like, and at the same time, it's also very like circus orchestrated. It, it's so much fun. Like I, I think the way that it just really kind of hones in and goes through it all, like it, it's a really fun and inspiring way to showcase a children's movie. Um, and I, I think Coraline deserves. A lot more love during the time when I first watched it because I remember a lot of people not checking it out as much. And it's this is going to sound funny, but uh, when I was uh, inside of the sneaker world, I actually was a huge like sneaker head and I would buy sneakers all the time. There was a, a, a Nike that came out that was uh, called the Coralines. And they were invite only and you can't buy them. And if you try to buy them now, I think they're about $1,200 or so. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, they're nuts. Uh, But it came with the the laces on the sides were buttons. So they were kind of like Coraline's button eyes. They're called lace locks. We don't use them anymore on shoes, but they're used very much in like the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, but lace lo- they had lace locks on them where it's pretty much these little things that go inside your laces. Um, but it was the mouse head and it was the cat head for the other other shoe. It was Ooh. bananas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so, that's so cool. cool. My dad is a sneakerhead. Well, only for like Kobe Bryant. I feel but... that though. I feel that. Yeah, I'm not into it as much anymore. <laughs> but oh, I, when I, I was, it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I just wanted to comment, like, yeah, Coraline's my comfort movie. I I remember I was traumatized as a child because I was born in two thousand and eight. So, um, yeah, and I That's never horror. realized how horror does that. <laughs> I never realized how much like a stop motion type of film would like have so much like effect on you. Like, it's insane to me. Like, it's not even real people, and the amount of secrets and little things that were hidden in this film. It was like, so it was definitely like, 
one of the most changing like films that kind of gave me a perspective of like horror and like what I kind of feared in a way. Um, so why do you think button for eye buttons for eyes? Is that a good question or does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. So, so why buttons for eyes? Like, yeah. What do you, why do you think? Because I remember like Coraline would be like, why buttons for eyes? <laughs> um, I think it, it goes into the doll like exterior of how we open with Coraline to really have it feel soulless. Like we have this whole concept of like the eyes or the window to the soul. I'm not too sure if you ever heard of that terminology before that metaphor, but like it pretty much just means that like if you look someone in the eyes, you can truly tell that who that person is. When you have buttons for eyes, I tr- I truly find that to just be a soulless type of experience. Like that person is nothing, right? Like, you know, Very they have deep. buttons for eyes, so you have no way of telling who this person truly is. Um, so I think that's why the buttons for eyes. <laughs> that's a very good. No, that's actually really good. I personally, I didn't go. I didn't really go into the meaning so deeply like how you did, because I just thought it, it was just to refer to as the doll that she had like, I, think that, I think on the surface yeah. level that's truly what it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like yeah <laughs> but i didn't think of it as like so like that <laughs> well that's a, that's the thing about it it's anthony knows this from for me on twitter I, i'm very much an analyst of film so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so okay, I, I could go quite deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess like what uh sequence do you feel like was the scariest for you Ooh, um Definitely that ending when we see Coraline going through trying to escape the other mother and when she's actually stuck in the other world and you're just like, oh, man, all right, this is about to get real. So that that for me probably is the the scariest sequence, especially when she turns into the spider and and things like that. Like that very much feels very Henry Selleck, poor Henry Selleck. Like I I feel like Henry Selleck doesn't get enough love for for his work because Henry Selleck created um, Nightmare Before Christmas and things like that. But yet Tim Burton got all the credit for that. I I, I feel like this is very much Henry Selleck and and really showing to like, not sure if you've ever seen James and the Giant Peach. It very much gave me like those vibes of, of that little spider in James and the Giant Peach. And I, I love that. Like, I love that aspect of seeing just how it was. And it also kind of reminded me of it as well. Like, and I, I, I actually truly think that's where the inspiration came from. Um, I really, truly think it came from it. But like it, those types of things just are very, very eerie to me and just really creepy of how that shift from the other mother was of how kind and loving and caring she was to how evil and demented and controlling she was like that to me that was that was scary like that that for me got me (laughs) yeah it was a jump scare when i found out she was a spot like a spider like this long-legged creature like i was like what Mm, I never expected that. <laughs> Her arms out coming out, and oh gosh, gotcha. yeah, like that was that was pretty intense. <laughs> right. Oh man, yeah, like hands down, the spider sequence was like freaked me out. Like even as an adult, it freaks me out. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a, a wonky one for sure, and it it just goes bonkers. It's it's a very very uncomfortable scene. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, what do you guys think about the Pink Palace? Like both of you. Oh, I will one hundred percent live there. I would absolutely live there. 
it kind of looks like the Bates house, but pink. And that's like my dream house. That is so funny. You are so right. (laughs) You are so right. (laughs) Like you want to move to Sweden, right? Yeah. So you can just build, I'll I'll build you a house like that in Sweden. Oh, thank you. Okay. (laughs) Yes. There we go. (laughs) I'm going to make you uh, remember that when you're older. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay, let me ask these last uh, questions. Um, so what advice would you give kids who want to become like a podcaster just like you? Oh, man. Um, the advice I can give you is just do it. There is no age requirement. Um, I've seen kids make podcasts uh, who are two and three years old. Uh, and it's actually a very popular podcast at that. It's uh, a podcast of this guy and his daughter who's three. And they talk about nothing. They just talk about her day. Wait, I think I've heard of that before. Yeah, it's it's you see it a lot on TikTok, but like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a surfer and like a professional yeah. surfer and he and his daughter uh, comes on the show with him. It's her show. It was her idea. Like they and they just make a podcast. So like there is no age requirement, you know, like if you genuinely want to get into podcasting and if you have something that you want to share with the world, do it. You know, like you can do it on your phone. You can do it on if you want to get like super professional with it and just go like completely insane with it all. Get a a computer, get a nice uh, microphone for about a hundred bucks that plugs into that computer and get some editing software. And that's it. And for about maybe two hundred dollars or so, you'll be able to make a podcast. Um, So it's it's not too bad. And there is so many different ways to make podcasts as well. Right. And there's so many different ideas and things like that. People like hearing other people. Like it's just, yeah. whether it be in music, whether it be in podcasting, whether it be on YouTube, whatever, people enjoy hearing people. And that is something that I feel like is something you should take. Um, I would also say, just let it be a hobby. You know, when it gets to be a job, that's, that's where it can get stressful. Let it be a hobby. Just let have it be something that's just fun that you do with your friends. And you maybe you meet up once every other week or something and just kind of hang out and just just talk with your friends on the Internet and just allow that to just be what you want it to be. Thank you for that. Yeah. Like, look at me and my aunt. Like, you wouldn't expect a 13 year old and an auntie to um, create a podcast, especially a horror one. Like, this is like. It's a very great name, rare, by the I way. Oh, <laughs> I, think oh, I didn't come cool up with name. it. She did. <laughs> I think it's such a great Not name. Me. Either way, who is just a fantastic <laughs> name. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Of yeah. course. And lastly, is there anything you would like to plug, or where can people find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me over on Twitter at the head night. That's night with a K. Or you can listen to my voice over on Nightlight a horror movie podcast that's also night with a k and sometimes you can see my words over on bloody disgusting or bloody dash disgusting.com um and sometimes you even be able to see them on the bite which is shutters blog as well and uh you'll also be able to see me later this year in a documentary called mental health and horror Yay! <laughs> i did want to say say that what i love about your whole like thing is like you're always so very kind yeah his whole vibe spreading good into the world even with like your podcast i was listening to house of the devil 
not for kids, uh, just to mention it, but we're not for kids. We we definitely are very much an explicit podcast. (laughs) Well, that's okay because I'm, well, I mean, never mind. I'm not going to go into that. (laughs) 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 To our listeners, like Prince is such a like wonderful, like part of the horror community and should listen to everything. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm all about spreading the positivity around horror films and letting people know that horror films don't need the stigma that they actually get. We need a lot of people like you in the world. You're amazing. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us and being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. We both really appreciate it. I'm going to end the, we're going to end the podcast here. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. Make sure to subscribe and add us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All you have to do is search up Kinderguys podcast. And remember, you are loved. You're a baddie, and remember to always live on the fright side. Bye!